Good morning. If you, uh, if you thought the screen looked erratic this morning, or those of you that are online, it's because I've been doing it all. So I had, uh, I had no volunteers up there. So I did my best. We have all these cameras and we can only have one because I have nobody up there to switch angles. So Rachel, I'm sorry. All right, uh, she's watching from South Carolina, we're assuming. Um, the, uh, the title to the message today is, really the, the title comes from a song and I was gonna play it this morning and uh, my, uh, my remote connection to the computer won't work either. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's a very simple song. I would invite you to look it up. Uh, the refrain over and over again is, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. And I think uh, the first person that I was aware of that, uh, that sang it, I don't know who wrote it, is uh, Carrie Joby. But um, it's a very good song. It's a very simple song. It's a very powerful song. And uh, I would encourage you to, to give that a listen. Um, yeah, so the question is, what battles are you fighting today? Obviously, I'm fighting a, a little bit of a battle with technology. So the first thing I did when I turned on my, uh, my microphone this morning and found out that it sounded terrible and Elijah got that fixed and then I had no volunteers up there and so that was a struggle and uh, I'm typically fighting technology battles. Um, okay, awesome. Um, also, uh, I, I'm only gonna reveal this to you because I think that there are some of you that will identify and I'm really trying to get you to kind of maybe open up your mind rhetorically, okay, to maybe have a discussion with the Lord about what your battles are. Um, I battle with discouragement. So when I came in here this morning and I, I looked, I know Pastor Craig is incredibly competent as a Bible teacher. Uh, you guys have a Bible teacher that comes here at 930 who has a master's degree in theology. And not just any easy master's degree, he went to DTS and worked hard at it. And we don't pay him. And he's here and he's teaching from the word and you have opportunities. And then I come in and three people are here. That's just, I'm, I, it discourages me. You, you think that I'd be discouraged because of me. I, I look at all of our volunteers. Uh, I'm thankful that we've had some more volunteers that have decided to go upstairs and uh, help out with our children. Uh, Beth works very, very hard up there. And uh, that can be a thankless job. Uh, on Wednesday night, uh, Nicholas is back here and Dean is back here. And you know, we'd like to see more of our young people show up. It's discouraging when people don't show up. And it seems like in the wake of the pandemic, we are even more inclined to just say, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll come next week. Maybe I'll watch, watch it online, whatever. I'm just telling you what I deal with, okay? Now, you have perhaps battles that you're fighting that are far more significant than that. Maybe you're fighting a battle with your health. I was talking to a man this morning that, uh, you know, was on the edge of death a couple of times in the last month. You know, maybe you're fighting a battle with your finances and you just don't know where the money is gonna come from and you're doing your very, very best to deal with that. Maybe you're fighting a battle with family and family members. I don't mean you're necessarily fighting with them, but um, you're just having difficulty in your family situation. Maybe you're fighting a battle at work. Uh, you're just trying to do the very best job that you can and you're not being recognized for the work that you're doing. and. Uh, you know, you work harder and harder and don't seem to get uh, a whole lot out of it. You see, I'm just throwing some things out there. You already know the battles that you're fighting, if you're fighting the battle. Now see, something that some folks do is they just lay down and take it, right? 
they're not even going to fight anymore. Um, biologically speaking, there's three things that we do when we encounter uh, any sort of a threat. Fight, flee, or freeze. And I think some people have just become tired of fighting. The threat is so constant, constant, that they've just frozen, and then they just lay down and let the enemy walk all over them. I want to encourage you today to fight, but I want to encourage you to fight with the Lord on your side. I want to encourage you to realize that uh, the song that I just quoted earlier, this is how I fight my battles. It says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Amen? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't put this down to read, but uh, I wonder if you guys remember the story about Elisha and uh, there was this, uh, this army that surrounded Elisha's home and his servant was terrified. Here are, here are all these soldiers surrounding his home because Elisha was a prophet and he would go to the king and he would tell the king what was happening in the other kingdom and what they were going to do. So the king of the other kingdom said, go kill him. So they sent an army and here's this army surrounding this prophet's house. This is one guy and his servant and an entire army is surrounding his house. Elisha wasn't scared. Why? Oh, he knew who was on his side. And the servant was, uh, for lack of a better term, freaking out. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes, because more are they who are with us than with them. And the servant's eyes were opened, and surrounding the prophet's house were angels. Angelic warriors, not little cherubs flying around going, Elisha, Elisha. Aren't I cute? We're going to fight these soldiers. No, man, we're talking warriors. Uh, you know, really, I, I hear people say, oh, I saw an angel. Maybe. But I think if you saw an angel, you would wet yourself. That's what I think. Right? Angels were so and are so overwhelming and so powerful that men have been tempted to worship them. Any angel that is in the, the service of the Lord... In other words, an angel that is not a fallen angel, a.k.a. a demon, any angel in the service of the Lord is going to prohibit worship and say, no, 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 don't worship me. Worship God. Worship the Almighty. Worship Yahweh. In fact, on two occasions, John, the Apostle John, who knew better, was receiving what we know as the book of Revelation. And on two occasions, he fell down to worship the angel that was giving him the revelation. In both instances, the, the angel in each case said, no, you are to worship the Lord and him only. Well, see, Satan craves worship. And his demons, the daimon, right? The, that's where we get our word demon. Demigods, they want to be gods. They want to be worshipped. That's what they're looking for. So, you know, you can lay down and you can let the enemy walk all over you. Or you can fight knowing that the Lord is on your side. Um, just before we jump into the story today, because we're, uh, this is a theme, but it's a theme coming out of the Holy History. We've been following Israel in what we call the Holy History as God works through the children of Israel, works in their lives. And um, I don't know if I reminded you of this last week, but I want to try to remind you every week of the theme for this study, which is found in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And it said, now these things happened to them, who? Israel, as examples for us. And they were written down for our instruction 
upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So in other words, when we open this Bible, it's not just history and rules. This is God seeking to speak. Now he's going to speak in Psalms and he's going to speak in Proverbs and he's going to speak through the prophets, but he's also going to speak through the narrative of holy history. That is through the story. Now, I think C.S. Lewis had it really, really uh, had a good understanding of this. C.S. Lewis appreciated mythology. And we think of mythology as just being a false story, but mythology was always intended to teach lessons to people. Okay, So it doesn't matter whether it's Roman and Greek mythology or whether it's Norse mythology. There is Chinese mythology. It was intended to teach lessons, but none of those things happened. C.S. Lewis said Christianity Biblical faith represents mythology, but it is a story that actually happened. It is a bigger-than-life story that is seeking to teach us a lesson. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. These things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction. Written down, inspired word of God, preserved perfectly, written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Well, we're studying events right now that took place during the Exodus. That was probably somewhere in the vicinity of 1400 BC. That's 3,400 plus years ago. That's a long time ago. But these are lessons. These are examples. These are things that God laid down. He said, I'm going to do this in the life of this people, not because they're better than any other people, but simply because I have chosen them and I'm gonna work through them. We saw that when we started this study and we looked at Joseph. Joseph was a, seemed to be a, a pretty decent kid, but he was kind of arrogant, he was kind of cocky, he was kind of prideful. He was favored and he reveled in that favor and he received those dreams from the Lord that showed that his brothers and even his mother and father were gonna bow down at his feet. Well, rather than kind of keeping that quiet, he boasted about it. And this, in the end, is what got him sold into slavery, brought him to Egypt, and eventually put him in the very place that the dreams said he would be in, where he would be in power. So God is able to take all of these bad things that happened to us and turn them around and make them into good things. But um, God didn't choose Joseph because he was better than his brothers. He just chose Joseph, right? So... You know, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can see that you've been chosen, but you've not been chosen because you're better than other people. God chose you because he chose you. Amen? And you ought to be thankful for that. I know I am. See, we often major on the idea that we've chosen God, make a decision for Christ. Well, you do need to choose. You do need to have faith. And I believe that the call goes out to everyone to one degree or another. But the reality is, it is by grace we're saved through faith. Amen? The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Amen? It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It's not dependent upon you and your ability to strive and keep going and keep all the rules and do it all right and come to the end and hope that your good works outweigh your bad works. All of us are going to have our bad works outweigh our good works. It's only when Jesus puts his thumb on the scale that it outweighs it all. Amen? That's why you and I are saved. And it is in that confidence that we need to fight our battles. Um, I, I pulled a couple of verses uh, as I was 
looking at this, uh, at this study, I pulled a couple of verses up that I thought were really, really good. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Amen? That's how you overcome is through faith. And then this one from 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. See, at the end of this message, we're going to look at the reality that we're fighting a supernatural battle, no matter what the externals may appear to be. And then I, I, I picked this one up and I was reminded of this this morning in my uh, daily reading. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Yeah, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by who? By you. It's the angel of the Lord that surrounds us. So how do you fight your battles, right? I try to get you to identify what your battles are, but how do you, if you are fighting, how do you fight your battles? Well, let's get into the story. The children of Israel were attacked by a nation known, to, known as the Amalekites, uh, Amalek in the wilderness. Um, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go to that story, the account of that, and this is found in Exodus chapter 17. And I'm going to read the whole thing because I really think that you need to hear the word. Um, I think that that's more important than anything that I would have to say. This is from the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 update. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Now Rephidim is like this settlement that's very near Mount Sinai. So Moses said to Joshua, and this is the first time we hear Joshua mentioned, by the way, who becomes Moses' second command and then takes charge of Israel. Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did just as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. But when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. So presumably, what we're imagining here, this is hand singular. Um, do you know how the Jewish people prayed back then? Okay, they raised their hands toward heaven. They looked up toward the, the, the sky and they prayed like this. We oftentimes, how do we pray? We pray like this, right? We have this un understanding of, of God being imminent and being capable and ideally, if you've opened your heart, coming inside and we can address him quietly and within our own heart. But we need to understand that this is the same God who spoke the universe into existence. He's transcendent. He's utterly otherly. He is above and beyond us. So this is how the Israelite would pray. So we can imagine Moses, uh, you know, whether he had the staff in his hand or not, um, he could have been standing like this, or he could have had the staff in one hand and the other hand up, or maybe he raised the staff in one hand. Or I could imagine Moses putting the staff in both hands and raising them like this. That's kind of how I imagined it. Now, this is the same staff that God blessed when Moses met with God on the mountain the very first time in Exodus chapter 3 and revealed his name to him. And God said, this is the staff that I'm going to use to work these wonders. So um, the first five or six times that Moses uh, brought down the... the uh, the, the plagues upon Israel, it was through this staff. Now later, the people began to recognize that it was the anointing was upon Moses and not upon this talisman, this staff. But the staff still represented what? God's anointing, God's power, amen? And so what the people needed to see 
is that God had their back. They needed to look up while they were in the midst of the battle and see that God was with them because there was the man of God with the staff of God in his hand, right? Okay, so with that in mind, um, he has the staff of God in his hand, okay? Verse 11, so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed, but when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands were very heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on the one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady until the sun set. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that it will utterly wipe out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Eventually God did. Now, it might not from this account seem as though it is justified for God to make that sort of condemnation on Amalek. However, we read this uh, from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy is Moses reiterating the law and what took place at the end of his life. So here, uh, in the instance that I just read in Exodus, Moses is about 80 years old. That's pretty old, right? I'm 60, I can't imagine fighting battles at 80. That sounds like fun. Um, but uh, at 120 years old, Moses writes Deuteronomy, right? Well, perhaps dictates parts of Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 25, 17, and 18, and it gives us a little more detail about this uh, attack from Amalek, because apparently that's what happened, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 25. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you came out of Egypt, how he confronted you on the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. So he, that is, and it uses this singular for Amalek, Amalek attacked Israel when they were tired and weary. Remember last week, we looked at two instances, one of which they were running out of food and God miraculously provided food for them in the wilderness, which he continued to do for 40 years, the manna from heaven. On a couple of occasions, he even supplied meat for them, uh, quail. Uh, I didn't talk about that last week, but he did do that this first time. He supplied manna and he supplied quail, and he did it again later. But throughout the time, God provided for them. Now, once they reached Rephidim, they per perhaps assumed that there would be water there. It was some sort of a settlement, but they found no water. So as I mentioned last week, and this is in the beginning of the chapter that I just read, Exodus chapter 17, God told Moses to stand on a rock and strike the rock with his staff and water flowed out. And so the people were supplied with water. So they're tired. They've been in the desert for a month. They have been slaves all their lives. That's all they've known. Um, they knew that they were perhaps going to have to fight because when they left Egypt, they left in battle divisions. But, you know, God knew they weren't ready to fight. That's why he took them up against the Sea of Reeds because he knew if he took them around along the Mediterranean where the Philistines were, the sea peoples, and they had to face them, that they would give up and they would run back to Egypt or that they would lay down and just die. But now they were struck with this group of people, this um, these are descendants of Esau, by the way. So Jacob and Esau, you remember they were, they were fraternal twins. Jacob becomes, what's his name? It becomes what? Israel. And these are his descendants, right? Well, uh, Amalek represents part of the descendancy that comes from Esau, the other brother. And they attack Israel. 
and apparently they attack their flank and they attack where they're weak. Well, this is what animals do, right? So when a predator comes upon a, a herd, they always circle around the outside of the herd and they look for those that are sick and for those that are weak and for those that are young. Oh, there's so many lessons to be learned here. There are predators in our world today and they're attacking our children. They're attacking those that are weak in their mind and weak in their soul, okay? Um, so what you need to realize is that your enemy will often attack you when you're weary and he will hit you where you're weak. So you gotta be careful when you get worn down and, and we do, don't we? I mean, I know there's a lot of people in this room and you're hard workers, man. I mean, you're, you know, you're working to start a business. You're working to, to, to keep a school running. You're working to teach kids in an environment where not too many people are grateful these days. You're working to parent children and that's not an easy job no matter what uh, the world looks like. You're a student and you're in school and you're just working hard to try to get your grades and do the very best that you can. And you can get really, really weary but we have to be wary when we're weary because that's when the enemy attacks. And that's exactly what happened here. But you can't give up and you can't give in. You don't want to lay down and let the enemy just walk over you. You got to fight in spite of how you feel. But once again, you need to recognize that the battle is not yours alone. All right. So here's another question for who do you look for for encouragement to be strengthened from, to be strengthened by? Do you look to anyone outside of yourself when you're in the midst of those battles that you're fighting? Or do you just kind of pull it all inside and, and try to, to fight by yourself? Why do I say that? I want you to realize, remember, recognize that Moses was the one that God chose to stand up and be the banner for Israel, okay? So in the ancient world, uh, they actually held up flags, and those flags would represent their nation. Uh, those flags would also, at times, give them direction as to where they were supposed to fight and what they were supposed to do. But they looked to that flag, or that banner, we would call it, and that let them know that the leadership was there, and this leadership was fighting for them. So there's a lot being said. Um, right now, we're, if, I don't know if you're paying any attention or not, but right now, uh, the Dallas Mavericks have made it to uh, the uh, uh, the conference finals in the Western Conference, and uh, they're uh, they're battling the uh, the Warriors, um, the Golden State Warriors, and a lot has been said about players like Dirk Nowitzki and Steph Curry, but not enough is being said about these coaches. As I'm gonna tell you, the reason the Mavericks are doing as well or have done as well as they've done is because of Jason Kidd, their coach. That coach is there, they know that coach is behind them, they know that coach is calling the shots and is doing a good job. And that's why a lot of times, you know, whether it's a, a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, you'll see that coach on the sidelines just, you know, jumping up and down and encouraging the team and getting upset when the call doesn't go the right way. Well, we might think, oh, you know, stop being so emotional, coach. You know, maybe you, you're like me. I, I appreciated, and most of you are too young for this, but I appreciated Tom Landry. Right? This is the, the first coach of the, the Dallas Cowboys. And he would stand on the sidelines like a pillar of stone with that hat on his head, just like this. 
walk back and forth. You see, but they knew there was that strength that was there. He'd prepared them. And they could look over there and they could receive the, their calls from the sidelines and know that everything was going to be all right. Well, that's what we have here with Moses. Moses sent Joshua in to be the, the captain or the general of the army. Moses was standing there to be the banner and represent that God was in their midst, that they were uh, surrounded by the power of the Lord, that God was going to fight with them and fight for them. So who do you look for? for encouragement in your battle. The Lord is our banner. He's the one we look to for victory. However, there are people who hold up the banner. So I think that the, the staff is important here because the staff really is, is the banner in this case. And Moses is the one holding up the banner. And the banner is what we identify with, what we recognize as the reason for our fight. We're not just fighting for survival. We're fighting to glorify the Lord. We're fighting because we want to attain and obtain victory for the Lord. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men and go up and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. But what happened? He got tired. So, you know, you can put yourself in each of these situations. You can see yourself as one of the soldiers fighting on the field, right? You can see yourself as a leader like Joshua, who is commanding other soldiers to fight and giving them uh, the instructions that they need. You can see yourself as, you know, in your own family, as a leader. You can see yourself as a Moses figure who is seeking to represent the Lord to those people uh, that are in your family, or, or perhaps you're a boss and you're going to represent the Lord to them, right? However you want to represent yourself or whatever, in whatever way you want to look at yourself, you need an Aaron and a her in your life. Amen? Her as an H-U-R, not H-E-R, although that's fine too, right? An Aaron and a her, because he's holding his arms up and his arms get tired. And then he has to sit down, but he still holds his arms up. And then his arms start coming down. And Aaron and her come on either side of him and hold those arms up. So, We've got spiritual leaders who support us in prayer and with words of encouragement and challenge. That's why God has put me here, all right? I'm gonna try to encourage you and admonish you and strengthen you each and every week. You have to come to the battle, right? If you don't come to the battle, I can't, I can't help you. I, I'm trying to give you those words of encouragement. I'm trying to lift you up before the Lord, right? Somebody comes to me, and asks me to pray for them, I don't just say, oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. No, I really do pray for you. I don't know how thoughts are going to help you, except maybe that's just, uh, you know, a sense of moral support and makes you feel better. And I guess if you feel better, you'll fight somewhat better. But you know what? I, I love it, you know, and appreciate it when someone says, you know what I was thinking of you, that's great, and that's nice. But when they're praying for me, that's, that makes the difference. When someone is praying for you, that makes the difference. I've heard people say on many occasions um, that God that, that prayer changes things. Have you heard this? Right? Maybe you've said this. See, the reality is prayer doesn't change anything. God changes things because we pray. Amen? God is the one who is in power, not our words. But we need to pray. And we need to pray without ceasing. And we need to pray for one another. The question is, do you look to men and women of God? It doesn't have to be someone like me, right? It can be someone like Miss Mary. 
It can be someone, you know, in your family that you know prays. Do you ask them to pray for you? Not as a, oh, by the way, I've got you on the phone. Can you pray for this? No, you really need that. You really want that. You really seek that. You need those hands beneath your arms to lift you up. See, what all of us need to realize when we're not the leader is that our leaders get tired. Amen? Our teachers in this country are tired right now. They're getting beaten up and beaten down. I, I read a, uh, a statement a couple of months, well, it might have been maybe a month ago, that some, something on the order of 15 or 20% of the teachers in Houston, in the Houston school district, are going to quit by next year. What are they going to do? Where are these teachers going to come from, right? Well, see, I may not be able to jump in and teach for them, but I can pray for each of these teachers. I can pray for each of these people, right? Now, maybe you're not a teacher. We, we've got people that are starting their own businesses uh, in this room. And, you know, do you seek people to pray for you and to support you in prayer? And then do you trust that God is listening both to you and to them? It's just very, very important for us to do that, okay? Because when Moses couldn't hold his arms up anymore, Aaron and her were there to support him. So I would encourage you, lift up your leaders in prayer. Encourage them. I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest encouragement that you can be for me is when you are here and you are paying attention. That's more encouragement to me than if you were to go out and, you know, buy me a new car, okay? It really is. I remember one year, I can't remember, this has probably been, gosh, this might have been 10 years ago now. Um, Typically, we have a small group here on Wednesday, and I'm not loading up the, the bags for a guilt trip here. Uh, not everybody can be here on Wednesday, I realize that. Now, if you can, I'd love to have you. But I remember one Wednesday, I showed up, and I could not believe how many people were here. I was like, this is awesome. Now, I always prepare on Wednesday. I prepare in more detail on Wednesday than I do in, on Sunday, to be honest with you, because there's more content that I'm gonna deliver there. But I mean, this, it was just this big group of people. Well, it was my birthday. <laughs> but see, they didn't show up with a big birthday gift or a cake or anything like that. They just showed up. That was so encouraging to me. You see, when you do what God has created and called you to do, that's encouraging. Well, see, what I do requires you. Without you, there is no me. Do you get that? You know, I can move into a tiny home in, you know, a forest somewhere and be perfectly happy, okay, as long as I got my, my ends met. But you know, in the end, I, I say that, but I really wouldn't be because I've got to do what I've been created to do. I don't plan on retiring. You know, you guys may get sick of me and say, man, he's old and we're tired of hearing him now. But even if I could retire, which I can't, I don't plan on doing that because I, I got to do this. This is who I am. This is what I am. This is what I want to do. I don't want to do something else. You know, I've thought about other things, other revenue streams. and all, No, this is what I want to do right here. If I'm not doing this well, well, then I've just wasted my life. That's what it amounts to. So if you're doing what God created you to do, it's fulfilling. It's encouraging. So moms, you know, when you're able to be around your kids and you're able to parent them, and you see them growing. I'm sure that's encouraging. It's fulfilling. I was listening to Craig as he was teaching Bible study this morning, and he was talking about how when he's at work, 
Jubilee, he thinks of you kids. He thinks of his kids. He loves you. So when you're the child, how can you encourage your parent? Love them. Be obedient to them. Show them appreciation because they get worn out. They get beat down. All of us are that way. We need that encouragement, okay? Um, in addition to that, pray for your boss. Maybe you just think, oh, my boss just gets on my nerves. Start praying for her. Start praying for him, okay? That's the leader. And if your boss is not a Christian person, shine the light. Pray that they will become one. If your boss is a Christian person, then pray for them spiritually. Pray that they will be able to be the kind of leader that you need. Pray for your teacher students, college students, elementary school students, high school, middle school students. Pray for your teacher. Don't gripe at your teacher and complain to your teacher. Pray for your teacher. It's hard to do what they do, especially in, in our day. Pray for me. All of our arms get tired. And prayer is the way you can hold our arms up, all right? So in conclusion, and I'm gonna run through this pretty quick, so you're gonna have to listen fast. Can you listen fast? Do you ever do that? I, you ever get one of those, those books on tape, or uh, it's not a tape anymore, uh, you know, you, audio books, right? And, and they have the speed option, do you notice that? You're like, eh, they're reading too slow, and you hit 1.5, 2, I don't know, how high does it go? You know, hey, you're gonna hit three, and they're gonna talk it like this. All right, so that's what it's gonna be like. This is how you fight your battles. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. ready. A, realize the battle belongs to the Lord. Who does the battle belong to? The Lord. If you belong to the Lord, your battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever your battle is, it belongs to the Lord. If it's an emotional battle, if it's a psychological battle, right? I know people right now that are under so much stress. I was talking to a woman uh, the other day uh, at a restaurant that I frequent. And she said, you know, I just have so much, I have like brain fog right now. I can't think straight. And I said, are you under a lot of stress? And she said, yeah. Yeah, man. And so that, you know, that may be, but see, if you belong to Jesus, the battle belongs to the Lord. You've got to rely on him for victory. That's what it means when it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Even our faith, right? Faith is confidence in Christ. B, don't fight in the flesh. What does that mean? Don't fight in the natural. Y'all, every time I struggle with these technical issues, I always default to the flesh. Oh, it's so frustrating to me. You can't imagine. This morning, I'm trying to access the, you know, the pro presenter with my phone because it's this beautiful interface when it works. And of course, you know, these things just decide they're going to update. And every time they update, it changes the settings. And then you can't log in. And I'm sitting here trying to log in. And it wants a password. And I don't remember the password that I put for that. So I entered one and it was wrong. And I entered another and it was wrong. And I was like, right? If you learn to pray instead of fighting in the flesh, and this is especially important when it concerns people, right? People are, mm, they're frustrating, aren't they? They can be. Um, but if we realize that we're not fighting other people, we're fighting a spiritual battle, then we can avoid fighting in the flesh. Fighting the flesh just means not relying on your own skill and your own strength, your own effort and your own energy, because eventually, sooner or later, this is going to go beyond your skill. It's going to go beyond your ability. You're going to wear out. You're not going to have the strength to continue. So, um, in another sense, uh, fighting in the flesh when it concerns people means fighting eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? You did that to me, now I'm gonna do this back to you. 
Oh, oh, you want to up it? Fine, okay. You know, you hit me, then I hit you. Uh, you pull out a knife, I pull out a gun, and we just keep upping it and upping it and upping it. And it's never ending, okay? We can't fight eye for eye and tooth for tooth. We don't return an insult with an insult. We pray for those who are against us. That's what Jesus said clearly. He said, love your enemies. I like this. Love your enemies and drive them nuts. Amen? There's an old, there's an old comedian I used to listen to. He, uh, he was one that my stepdad listened to. Uh, his name is Brother Dave Gardner. And you can look him up, all right? You might not laugh, but I used to listen to his albums all the time. I'm a teenager and you know my dad gave me these albums. And he said, love your enemies and drive them nuts. And I said, okay, I can get that. But this is what Jesus said that's behind that. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. See, we fight the devil, not the person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Well, I'm not going to be a, you know, a doormat for anybody. And Jesus said, why don't you let me de deal with that? Okay? See, slapping... Being slapped on the cheek and turning the other also is not the same as refusing to offer any self-defense. If somebody comes up against you or a member of your family and they're going to hurt you, okay, then I think you have reason to defend yourself. But see, a slap on the cheek, what is that? It's an offense. Oh, we get so easily offended today, don't we? We get offended about everything. It doesn't matter where you are politically, we're offended. I'm deeply offended. And Jesus would say, okay, so? If I'm gonna win the, uh, the other person, I'm not gonna win by arguing with them and fighting with them, I'm gonna win by loving them, amen? That's how I'm gonna win. So, C, realize you're actually fighting a supernatural enemy, and this supernatural enemy is using spiritual tactics, spiritual weapons. And so if you're fighting a supernatural enemy, you need to have supernatural weapons and tactics. Listen to what this uh, scripture says. This is a longer passage. And in fact, I have it all printed here, but so you all know that it actually came from the Bible. I'll just turn to the Bible. How's that? This is Ephesians chapter six, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and, the, and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day. And there are evil days. You're experiencing them now or they will come, but you can resist by taking up the full armor of God and have everything and have having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, belted, uh, having belted your waist with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be alert 
with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. Amen? That's the kind of battle that we are fighting, all right? Um, two more quick points. Uh, D, you will begin to win when you begin to pray, amen? The Apostle Paul said, pray, pray without ceasing. Well, if you start your day with prayer, if you open your mind to the Lord throughout the day, if as you're getting frustrated rather than complaining or worrying, you open your mind and pray to the Lord, you're already beginning to win. You've already started that process of winning the fight. And letter E, give thanks to God for the victory even before you've experienced it, right? Um, people of faith, I see them do this all the time and they inspire me. They're like, thank you, Jesus, this has already taken place. You see, that's what faith is. Faith is seeing it as though it has happened even before you've experienced it happening because in God's economy, it's already happened. All right, the victory is the Lord's. He's already won the victory. Whatever it is you're facing, he's already overcome for you. So just bask in that, bathe in that. Give him thanks for what you know he's going to do. Amen? Amen. So again, this is how I fight my battles. I recognize that the Lord is with me and I let the Lord fight in me and fight through me and fight for me. And I pray that you're doing the same thing.